This podcast channel is about you, successful international entrepreneurs, successful expats, successful investors, sponsored by ECJ Contacts. Welcome. Good morning, good day, good evening, depending on what part of the world you are. Welcome to HJ.tax. Again, we're doing another live stream. So for those for whom this may be first time, we do this every week. And in fact, sometimes more than once per week, like today, we, this is our second live stream. So today we're going to talk about BVI entities, what's, what's going on today, uh, yesterday, and what's, what can we expect for tomorrow? Now, we have to, uh, of course, out of an abundance of caution, remind you that this is not meant to be tax advice. We're having a general conversation about general principles. You can consider it educational or even entertainment. But if it is that you need actual advice, you need to engage a tax team, a tax professional who would understand your situation inside out. So again, we are not encouraging anyone to pay less than their fair share of taxes in any jurisdiction to, in which they're exposed. This is being recorded. So for those on Zoom, if you do not wish your image to be captured, please keep your camera switched off. For those who uh, submitted questions in advance, thank you. We'll go through them in the order in which they receive. Thank you for sending them. For those who wanna ask questions here, this morning, this evening, today, feel free to type in the box below. So if you're on uh, Zoom, you can type in chat box below. If you're in Facebook or LinkedIn, whatever, you can type below and we'll get to them in the order in which they are received. So without further ado, I will introduce Mr. Mikhail Charles. Mikhail, would you like to introduce yourself, sir? Yes, good morning, good evening, good night, everybody, uh, depending on which part. Uh, but I think I'll adopt part of your disclaimer in that um, this is not intended to be uh, direct legal advice. Um, and uh, we are having a chat about um, the BVI. Um, part of my um, practice um, in respect of myself, uh, my name is Mikhail Charles. I am a BVI admitted barrister. Um, I've been practicing across Eastern Caribbean um, for well over roughly eight, well, nine years. And I'm currently based in London. Um, I work along with um, Darren and the rest of the team at HTJ Tax as a, a member of the team. And um, I'm happy to happy to serve and uh, provide mm -hmm. uh, proportionate and accurate um, solutions for our clients. Uh, yes, so this morning is billed as uh, BVI companies, what's next? Um, before before that, I'll, I'll probably turn it back over to you, um, Darren, to, to further set the stage. Okay, so I, I guess we'll just progress through the questions as we receive them. And we try to put them in the sort of order that kind of makes sense. So, so it's like progressive questions. Right. So the first one is the most basic one, right? Like... Uh, what exactly is the BVI the British Virgin Islands and what's its relationship with the UK? Well, uh, to put it into, to, to, to answer that directly on its head, the BVI or the British Virgin Islands is a collection of islands, uh, roughly maybe 55 islands or so, 
mm-hmm. um, and they're located in in a grouping called the Leeward Islands in the Great Antilles of the Western East. So basically, the Eastern Caribbean, um, the main islands, uh, Tortola, uh, Virgin Garda, Anagada, and Jost Van Dyke, and there are about 50 other smaller islands or keys. Um, the capital is based in Tortola, or it, and it's called Roadtown. Um, the BVI is a United Kingdom overseas territory, so which means that they have internal self-government, but all of the external affairs are administered by the United Kingdom. Uh, serial system of government was introduced in 1967, I believe, yes. And more autonomy was given to the more autonomy was given to the um, to the ministers and to the aspects of the internal um, state in 2007. Um, in terms of other diplomatic um, situations of the BVI, they are associate members of the Organization of Eastern Caribbean States um, and associate members of the Caribbean Community. Um, in terms of the legal system, it is a part of or a circuit of the Eastern Caribbean Supreme Court and the final Court of Appeal or the Apex Court of Appeal is the Judicial Privy Council um, or the Judicial Committee of the Privy Council, which sits here in London. Okay. Very, very comprehensive. We expect nothing less. All right, jumping into number two. So in many, you know, when I, when I deal with clients, for them, the perception is that like the BVI, British Virgin Islands, BVI is synonymous with offshore structures. So when they think I need to form an offshore, a so-called offshore company, they immediately think BVI. So why, why is that the case? Why is the BVI so important as a brand? Or is it just branding? Is it just marketing? Or is there a real substance behind that? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll answer that this way. I'd say yes in both senses. Yes, in terms of branding. So um, the team over at um, the BVI ITA and the BVI companies regulator, they really have a wide term as a really joined up um, approach in terms of marketing. Because remember, um, Cayman, uh, Bermuda, Turks and Caicos, and of course, my own island, St. Vincent and the Grenadines, uh, St. Lucia, St. Kitts and Nevis, all have similar products. So in terms of marketing, I think the BVI has really, has really jumped on, on it. And um, that, that could only be <laughs> um, evidenced by the, the latest reports. Um, I think the latest reports coming out um, was that there was a 68% rise in new company incorporations in the first half of 2021. And that's against the backdrop of uh, COVID-19. Now, the importance of a BVI company is because I think, because BVI companies number into the hundreds of thousands, and there, there are several, several of the major offshore law firms with headquarters or um, offices there, the product that they push is that the BVI company is tax neutral. So what that means is that there are no direct taxes assessed in the BVI on a BVI company or on a partnership or its investors. 
no income capital gains tax inheritance or the direct taxes are accessible now as Darren as you well know as a US accountant apart from withholding tax that could be potentially imposed there are no other withholding taxes on a BVI company now despite the BVI entering into a number of double tax treaties they are often of limited or of no direct relevance to much business that is carried on by BVI companies. So it's import to the offshore world, if there is such a thing, <laughs> but I guess we could get into the sorcery of that uh, at another occasion, is that as, as a leading jurisdiction, um, a BVI company has certain has a repute for international compliance. Um, so, for example, BVI adheres to the OECD's whitelist. Um, it's a member of a plethora of international organizations, um, even recognized by the European Union as being fully cooperative as a tax regime, and that, and that occurred sometime, I believe, in twenty twenty. So that I think, in, in particular is why the BVI is important to the offshore world. Okay, th thanks a lot for that. I, you, you mentioned the fact that the number of incorporations is going up. I was yeah. under the, this is of course good news for, for, for the BVI as a jurisdiction, but I was under the impression that on the, on the back of Panama, Paradise, Pandora papers, that things were actually heading in the, opposite direction. So is the BVI an exception to trends seen elsewhere in terms of, yeah? Well, I, I think the impact of Panama Papers and Paradise Papers and the, the successive data breaches that have resulted in, for example, what the UK has done with the, um, with the MPs bill um, MP Hodge, I believe, from 2018, requiring the imposition of uh, beneficial ownership registers by at least 20, between 2020 and 2023, somewhere around there. Um, I, I think the BVI has made a modest success of sort of handholding clients through and sort of maintaining a firm not only marketing, but technical expertise. So for example, some of the bigger firms, um, and of course we, we won't advertise to them here, uh, but some of the bigger firms um, have invested a lot and you would notice um, online uh, the, the sort of very thorough guides available for free, um, the, 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 the very thorough um, responsiveness of their very senior attorneys um, in terms of hand-holding um, potential clients in understanding the multi-jurisdictional um, playing field. So for example, uh, if you want to set up um, a, a SPAC, um, if you want to set up an SPV, um, if you want to do business across several jurisdictions, you can actually come to a 
uh, a BVI firm that has an office in, let's say, Hong Kong and Singapore um, or in somewhere in Europe and actually have the benefit of a BVI company, but you get the different technical and other sort of capacity all in one shop. And I think that has helped to stave off um, the, the, the effect or to blunt the effect of Panama Papers. I think my last point on the Panama Papers and the other data breaches is that the sort of information that was turned up is, is of limited use. So take, for example, the BVI, um, the last data breach that they had, um, it's probably a couple thousand BVI companies are listed. But in reality, and I, 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 I would cite my source here. Um, so for example, ICC Fraudnet pro produces a, a compilation of um, essays. And in one of those essays, they cite some data uh, that's, that more or less shows that, all right, a couple thousand BVI companies are listed, but only a handful of them were active by the time of the publication of the data breach. So when you really start to scratch the surface of these data breaches, there isn't much substance. Granted, there's the, the shock value and, um, you know, the, it, it would help international tax um, regulators and domestic tax authorities in other countries to sort of have a, a greater view of how some of their citizens may be acting. But in the grand scheme of things, I think the, the, the effect of Panama Papers, etc., um, is blunt for now. Okay, thanks for that. And for those who may have been wondering, uh, SPV, Special Purpose Vehicles, SPAC, Special Purpose Acquisition uh, Company or Vehicle as well. So you can you can Google that if you want further information. Uh, but what exactly, I guess from what you've hinted, obviously there are different entity, entity structures available. What exactly is a BVI company, generic BVI company, and what are its advantages over other other jurisdictions that also have offshore companies? Well, I think I'll answer the last question first. Now, one of the advantages that BVI has is reputation. So since the 60s, really, um, various forms of corporate entity were in existence. And if you trace the history of the offshore industry. It is really BVI who sort of kick things off. Now, the first iteration of the company's law, uh, or the sorry, of the offshore company's law was based on Delaware law or Delaware company's law. So there are a lot of familiar concepts for uh, many uh, of the major um, jurisdictions in sort of recognizing, um, for example, the share structure, um, the lack of onerous corporate governance requirements, etc. Um, so I guess a classic definition where we adopt the English law definition, where it's a company is a legal entity um, separate from its shareholders, which can sue, be sued in its own right, and has a full capacity of a natural person. Now, due to things that are beyond the scope of this call, um, there is not only one type of company available 
or one type of corporate entity available, but different types. And that's set up by the Companies Act of 2004. So you can have your, the most common is the company limited by shares. So that has the ability to issue shares, um, directors manage the day-to-day -day affairs, and the shareholders enjoy legal personality, sort separate legal personality, which can be limited. Then you have your restricted purpose company, still a company limited by shares, uh, but it has a very specific purpose. And you usually find these companies used for securitization and structured finance transactions to hold assets. Um, but it, it has a, a very specific registration requirement. Then you have your segregated portfolio company, uh, which is very familiar to Americans in particular, in my experience. Um, still a company limited by shares, but the assets are ring-fenced to each individual portfolio. Then you have your company limited by guarantee. So the guarantee members and the shareholders enjoy separate legal personality. But that sort of company is, is usually used for non-profit organizations. So it's not really, it's not really, you know, no one really uses a, a company limited by guarantee, really. And then, of course, you have your unlimited company. So these companies can issue an unlimited amount of shares. Um, at least one of the members must be unlimited uh, and has unlimited liability. So naturally, uh, you, the more discerning investor doesn't usually go um, for that. So those are the types of company that are on offer um, in the BVI. Okay, great. Th thanks a lot for that. So within the last few years, well, not just in the BVI, but in the offshore world in general, there's been a lot of buzz around economic substance. Can you talk a right. bit about ex economic substance rules? Sure. Well, economic substance, as the name suggests, um, requires an entity let me use the, the, the language of the statute or the language of the law, um, requires legal entities, sorry, to show that they have some material connection with the jurisdiction. So, so now this follows um, the ongoing efforts of the OECD and the EU for companies not to just be paper companies. Um, and of course, because of the relevant private international law rules, once a company is incorporated, um, it the law of the domicile of that corporation would determine things like taxation and um, residence, etc. Um, so the OECD came out with this thing called BEPS. So you know, um, which is inclusive framework on base erosion and profit shifting and as a result of that these new rules came in so i think around 2018 i believe um and into 2019 a new set of laws came in which is called the economic substance act and what this does now the economic substance act and the economic substance rules what this does or how it applies is that bvi business companies 
and foreign companies registered in the BVI or BVI limited partnerships and foreign limited partnerships registered in the BVI are subject according to their activities to file reports um, and to demonstrate a real connection to the jurisdiction. Um, so now these companies or entities, once they carry on a relevant activity, and we'll get into that shortly, during um, a set period, usually a year, they, they have to comply with the substance requirements, right? And even if that entity does more than one relevant activity, then it has to comply with the economic substance requirements for each activity. So in order for your entity to be determined as, uh, as being liable for economic substance, it has to be directed and managed in the BVI. The nature and scale of the activity has to be taken into account. So that's things like employees who are qualified and physically present in the BVI. The sort of bills that you'd be paying in the BVI, light bill, um, rent, utilities, and that ties into whether or not they're appropriate physical offices or premises. Where that activity is intellectual property business, then uh, you have to, to show adequacy as well. Or if the legal entity conducts what is called CEGA, co-income generating activity, then you have to satisfy that test as well. So it's roughly about three tests, right? So director and managed test, adequacy test, and seeker test. Um, in terms of outsourcing, now this often catches a lot of people, or a lot of entities, to use the correct word. Uh, because BVI companies are usually just incorporated as holding companies or companies in a structure, a lot of services would be outsourced. Now, when you outsource that particular, um, when you outsource part of your relevant activity, you have to be careful because you have to look at the expenditure, the extent of work that is going to be done, and how that actually ties into the use of the particular structure. So quite a number of tests, but it's all interlinked. So a legal entity has to demonstrate under three tests. An entity could be a business company or a limited partnership in the BVI or foreign companies or foreign partnerships that are registered in the BVI. So those three tests have to be met in order for you to to to, to fall under uh, consideration for economic substance so just a word about what actually are those co-income generating activities so things like banking business so we start talking things uh, those co-income generating activities are things that are regulated right so things like banking business so raising funds managing risk um, taking hedging positions, providing loans, credit, whatever you, uh, distribution and service center business, 
Now, this is difficult in a small island uh, of transporting, storing goods, other logistics, uh, insurance business. What, you know, taking positions on risk, insuring or reinsuring against risk. Fund management business, very big in the BVI. Um, financing or leasing business, um, headquarters business. Um, so just by way of comparison, so St. Lucia um, has head office provisions in their offshore law, uh, but that has been blunted because of these requirements. So a head office is more or less saying, all right, it's similar to a family office. Uh, you have a you have a multinational business and you want to take advantage of tax neutrality. You redomicile the headquarters, excuse me, you redomicile the headquarters to um, St. Lucia or the BVI. But now, because of the EU's push and the OECD BEPS project, you have to demonstrate um, I, I under, all three of those tests that they have some connection to the jurisdiction. Um, shipping business and intellectual property business as well um, are part of um, consideration for um, the core income generating activities. Other types of business are outside of the scope of the economic substance um, legislation, and typically you could have some leeway there. Now, in, 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 sorry, in, in terms of uh, just thinking about trends, because with right. economic substance, and as you mentioned, no, uh, you know, it's, it's not just manpower but of the with i guess with the skills knowledge and abilities to perform the functions that 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 entity is expected to perform and then i, I guess implicit in that too would be office spaces right so perhaps gone will be the day where you'll see just one office with ten thousand companies or, or whatever right it will be you know they need to have real office space so and given the space restrictions because you know the BVI isn't very big and, you know, population constraints as well. How do you see substance rules really affecting the BVI in the long run? I, I, you know, from our experience, I think some people, they're aware of it, but they're not quite taking it as seriously as they should as yet. But once it really kicks in, is the you know is that model sustainable that offshore company model sustainable in a bvi that is has these restrictions in terms of size and a uh, number of people available well i i think that's that that answer requires a bit of philosophical reflection um in terms of the trends we can only go on what is reported um and from your our experience, and I say our as HTJ Tax, and with our local partners um, on island, there hasn't been a downturn in incorporations. What we have seen uh, is more or less careful structuring um, of business activities and a very careful placing of directors local and otherwise shareholders local and otherwise and a sort of balancing act 
disconnect between the core income generating activities and being willing, and I think in the last cost client we dealt with, they were willing to comply with the economic substance requirements because of the tax neutrality benefits. Um, so to, to answer your question, in, in the short term, we haven't seen, or I haven't seen um, a blunting of interest in, um, in BVI companies simply because the BVI ITA, that's the International Tax Authority, has been very receptive and very, one would say, um, professional in dealing with um, economic substance filings um, com and compliance procedures. Uh, one has to recall that economic substance doesn't just exist by itself, but it's also tied to the whole concept of beneficial. I don't know if we have any questions on beneficial ownership, but the whole concept of the, the boss system that um, the BVI has. So, so, and the boss system stands for the beneficial ownership um, secure search system. Um, and that came in around more or less at the same time that the economic um, substance rules came in. And that simply means that the beneficial owners of any entity registered in the BVI has to be shared with the registered agent and held on a secure search system. Um, so what that means practically is you set up a company to do X or Y, the beneficial ownership information goes to a secure system. And I think the sort of assurances that the, the government of the BVI have given and the sort of investment into um, their own security systems. Um, you always notice that the data breach is not from, it's never from the government side. It's it's always from the service provider side. Uh, that, but that aside, um, there, there isn't much to be said that there has been a downturn in business. Um, the long-term effects, however, um, especially as things like the, the pillar two um, requirements coming in and um, the ever-shifting regulatory, um, the ever-shifting regulatory uh, landscape internationally, um, those things I believe could blunt or, or lessen the momentum um, that the BVI has. Now, I'm not saying that things are rosy because I'm sure you and I could do it some more business <laughs> and our local partners can do it some more business. But um, all things considered, pandemic be what it is, um, things are, are progressing smoothly. Yes. Okay, that, that's, that's fantastic. Now, in terms of that boss system, that reg registry of beneficial owners, is it like... Yeah. Uh, like in Singapore, there's a biz file system and anyone can just log in and see or, you know, company's house in the UK, anyone can just see who the directors and shareholders are. Is it like completely, completely open access or are there like certain conditions for accessing such a sensitive registry? Absolutely not. And I think, I think it's at this point, I, and forgive me for my animation, 
because this is something that is plaguing. I, I mean, I am, I practice across the Eastern Caribbean and I advise across St. Lucia, St. Vincent and the Grenadines, Grenada, St. Kitts and Nevis, the British Virgin Islands, and Anguilla. And the difficulty that I think most persons have is that offshore companies now a bad word and i think this is something we've spoken about on our previous um on our previous calls and something that we get very ex exercised about the boss system and the RE, a registered agent system is not available for inspection by the general public only designated persons could search the boss system and the registered agent system and those designated persons are usually persons clothed with some sort of state authority. So, for example, um, if there is a request and there's recent, very recent case law um, on what is actually the remit of a reasonable request in the BVI. Um, and I think there are two lines of case law. There is the Friar Tuck line of um, the Friar Tuck line of case law and the compass star line of case law those are available um, for public reading on the eastern caribbean supreme court website um, that being said maybe if i step back a little bit and sort of explain the the steps right so under the boss system um the registered agent and a registered agent for, for general knowledge is the actual low on the ground party that is responsible for the formation of the business company. Now, they have to take certain prescribed information, right? So, for example, your beneficial ownership information, copies of your ID, um, your utilities, etc. And all of those registered agents, and there are a few hundred registered agents, I believe. Yes. Is it a few hundred? No, I think I may be wrong. Maybe in the in maybe about a hundred registered agents. Um all of those RE databases are connected to the boss system, right? And under the boss legislation, only a designated person could actually search by name of an individual or the name of the corporate or legal entity. The results of any of any search will be available within roughly, let's say, I think 10 to 15 days, um, unless the request is urgent. If the request is urgent, I think you pay an extra fee and you get back the information an hour or so. But the person who could request that is only law enforcement, or some other authority that is specified by the legislation. So a request for the search of the boss could come from somebody from the Financial Investigation Agency or the Attorney General's Chambers. And that request has to be proportionate and it must be certified. So it, it has to be what? Proper and lawful exercise of the requesting uh, BVI authorities' powers or in response to a request from the FIU or the Financial Intelligence Unit of the UK, 
and that was set up since 2016. And if you look at Friar Tuck and Compass Star, those two cases deal exactly with how that request should be dealt with and what should be specified in the request. So <laughs> this, this thing about um, or, or publicly accessible registers, etc., as it is in the UK, and there's a very senior attorney in the BVI who has written extensively on um, pu publicly accessible registers and and the, the the challenges and hurdles that United Kingdom itself has faced versus the brand spanking new um, systems in place in the BVI. So to answer your question in some, no, it's not open to the general public. And um, yes, it's available, but on request to the relevant authorities. Okay, fantastic. So no fishing expeditions. No <laughs> fishing expeditions. They, they could go to Yost Van Dyke and, and get a yacht <laughs> and, and go out for a day trip, which I think we're well overdue for. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So moving on to another popular topic, uh, yeah. virtual currencies, crypto. Uh, there's a new virtual asset law, I believe. Can you talk a bit about that? All right. So every year in the legislature of the BVI, there's something called the throne speech. And now that throne speech sets out the legislative aims of the BVI for that particular year. So take, for instance, now that's not to say that the, the, the legislature is bound to that throne speech. Uh, take, for instance, um, when the Black Swan injunctions were reversed by the Court of Appeal, um, you know, within a couple of months, the legislature met and amended the Eastern Caribbean Supreme Court Act, allowing for um, putting statutory rules in place to allow for um, freezing orders and those sorts of injunctions in support of foreign proceedings mandated that, similar to Cayman. But in this strong speech, uh, the governor set out the legislative agenda for 2022. And in one of those things, and that's sort of caused a lot of excitement in the crypto community, um, was the prospect of a virtual assets law. Now, we don't know what that looks like as yet. Um, could it go the route of um, the other islands in the Eastern Caribbean? So, for example, um, in Antigua, uh, I think St. Kitts and Nevis and a few others, there's actually a law called the Virtual Assets Bill or the Virtual Assets Act, which requires um, companies or individuals engaging in virtual assets or crypto coins, um, tokens, what have you, to be registered and licensed and pay a fee. Um, but that hasn't, we don't know what that looks like as yet. And so we're eagerly looking forward for a draft of that to come out um, soon. So it's more or less horizon scanning. But what has happened is that the, uh, I think the regulator, and I'll just get the name quickly, the British Virgin Islands Financial Services Commission published some guidance in 2020 on the regulation of virtual assets in the Virgin Islands. So um, the guidance more or less says, look, this thing is complex. 
because there's so many variations on a particular theme. There's so many variations on whether it is you have a token and you're staking, you're a miner, um, you want to attribute whatever the result of the mining activity is to the company, and what have you. It's complex, right? So the current existing legal framework in the BVI provide for regulation in one of two ways, either first at the initial issue or secondly, um, when that asset is actually in the hands of the holder or the subject of an investment activity. Now, those last two words are very key, investment activity. Um, so let's look at the first one. So things like, so virtual assets, um, virtual asset related products used to pay for goods, um, to pay for goods and services, for, for example, tokens um, or utility tokens, which you could use to get goods and services. Those aren't captured by the current suite of financial services legislation in the BVI. But where the virtual asset product already virtual asset service goes beyond um, a medium of just exchange, but into things such as investment activity, then it could be captured under the Securities and Investment Business Act. So what I think the, the, the key thing for persons who have BVI business companies and are engaging in things virtually is to actually look at the business model. What exactly is happening? Who is issuing? What is it being used for? Um, and then getting specialist legal advice on that to determine whether or not some sort of license should be applied for to the BVI FSC. Yeah, it is. It is. I mean, not just the BVI, but I think many jurisdictions right now are looking at that whole space, that whole virtual asset space. And I think there's only one direction, which is increasing regulation. So I think this this is to be expected. And it's good that BVI, the BVI is uh, being proactive. Um, it is. I mean, trying to deal with that, yeah. There was a recent judgment, uh, I think mm -hmm. middle of last year from Justice Jack, the name escapes, no, Justice Wallbank, sorry, where crypto was recognized as property. Now, this bills, and I think we have an article on that on our website, and I think we could maybe post that um, as a link uh, when this is published, uh, both on the website and on YouTube. Uh, but we, we, we discussed how the, the attitude of courts around the Commonwealth and around the world is towards crypto. It, it fulfills most of the indicia for property. And there's a very influential publication done here in the UK um, about it. And it, that publication is, is, has been cited and recited almost ad infinitum. Um, throughout the Commonwealth in particular, um, as, you know, common law rules would apply. Yeah. Okay, thanks for that. Um, and last question, before we see if there's any more from, from those who've, who've logged in, is about banking. And, and again, not picking on a BVI, because I think banking is a challenge in almost every jurisdiction in the world right now. 
but for those with BVI companies, they're finding it increasingly difficult to yeah. open a corresponding bank account. Could you comment on that? Well, I think my my personal experience, I, I, I always very and, and and put a tombstone on my previous banking experience because uh, I, I was a banker for a brief moment in time in St. Vincent uh, and in the UK briefly, very briefly. Uh, but that landscape has changed. That was well over 10 years ago. And the banking landscape now is entirely different to the banking landscape 10 years ago. Um, I would say I would I would answer starting with the company law perspective. Now the company law perspective is that there's no requirement for a BVI company to hold a bank account in the BVI. Yes? So you can open your account in the jurisdiction where you propose to do business. Now that could ease your KYC burden somewhat. It could. Um and then because there's no ex there's no exchange control legislation in the BVI as well that doesn't tie you to a particular currency. Now the particular currency or the currency of usage in the BVI is the United States dollar, right? But with a BVI company, you could have CHF, you know, Singapore dollar, Australian dollar, um, Swiss franc, what have you. The difficulty comes in because of the reputational issues. Now, not reputational issues in that the BVI is a junk jurisdiction, um, no matter what some left-leaning newspapers would have you think. <laughs> and that's, a, that's another conversation. Um, but the challenges from banking could be, you know, alleviated in many ways. You need to have a responsive registered agent. Yes? Because your registered agent would be the one responsible for getting your certificate of incumbency, um, get your stuff apostiled, from the local authority, etc. Now, if you have a responsive registered agent, what I have found is that the banks are able to say, okay, there's responsiveness at domicile point. And if you have a, a BVI company with some, with some history behind it, and you could show that you're complying with your economic substance requirements, etc. That further eases your KYC burden. Doesn't mean that you you, you don't present a, as some bankers call it a red flag. Um, it doesn't mean that you don't present a red flag, but the challenges presented to you are eased somewhat. So ensure that your registered agent um, is responsive. And I think in terms of pushing back against the, the compliance, the, the faceless and nameless compliance departments in the banks, you, you have to make clear, look, a tax neutral jurisdiction is quite different from a jurisdiction used by individuals or companies who want to hide income and assets from tax authorities in other jurisdictions. And that is where I think HTJ tax comes in because of the joined up approach that we that we take we, 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 we sort of show clients that look the way that tax is going right now is that you're going to have to pay something yeah you're going to have to pay something yes but that's something 
has to be proportionate and that the use of a tax neutral company really is no longer a pure tax planning tool but one of operations or management so for example your management or your corporate governance because your directors and shareholders there's no um there's no residence requirements so you could have your meetings virtually very key and very topical in covid 19. um your the execution of resolutions etc doesn't require notarization so you can electronically sign those right there's also data protection legislation in force in the bvi so you could have you know your 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 servers in singapore but they're air gapped they're, they're, they're secure etc so the modes of your corporate governance etc is now almost virtual so bvi has been doing remote and virtual since almost the inception because directors and shareholders generally don't live in the bvi yeah so there's a range of things that uh, discerning investors or discerning company incorporators can push back with but it's dependent on the team who advises you and i don't know if there's a question about um the use of bvi professionals or whatnot um, any questions coming came in about that uh but you know before we go on yes we actually yeah someone did ask but okay. before before that you know there are i mean uh, there are other islands as well we have a client that was yeah. able to find a banking solution in barbados and he's, yes he's yeah. comfortable with that and then uh in the u.s as well for especially if you're a u.s client and with the challenger banks in the u.s you know, I, yes. I don't want to advertise any of them, but they t they tend to be a bit more open-minded uh, than traditional brick-and-mortar banks. Maybe I mean, still very diligent with their AML KYC processes, but they're not as discouraging as yes. some of the brick-and-mortar banks. Mm -hmm. And maybe just that just set off a little in my brain about sanctions, yeah, because yeah. uh, that's been very topical over the past yeah. week or two. Um, but in terms of sanctions, now we explained earlier what the BVI is, a UK overseas territory. Mm -hmm. So because of that, the general, whatever the general sanctions rules are in the UK, the, the rule of thumb is, is that they would be extended to the overseas territories as well. So whatever obtains in the UK for sanctions, um, BVI companies, etc., must um, must comply with that. Mm. okay yeah. fantastic thanks for that and last but not least uh could you comment on the need to use qualified experienced vetted professionals in yeah. in the any process it would be the bvi okay well i mean firstly in terms of advice um any sort of legal advice now there's a new law well when i say new uh but in terms of implementation because there's been a lot of litigation primarily around costs in litigation mm -hmm. um there's been a lot of litigation about that but i think general principle of the the law that governs lawyers in the bvi is that they must be admitted so any form of advice etc um mm -hmm. if you're not admitted to the BVI bar and with a current practicing certificate, I think the position is that 
um, you'd be unlawfully practicing BVI law. So you need to have somebody who is qualified, appropriately qualified, and has a current practicing certificate. Yeah. Um, but this is especially painful uh, when it comes to, to litigation because there's some cases, there's a the line of case law, especially from 2017 down, um, some Russian cases, ironically, <laughs> about um, foreign lawyers not, when we say foreign, meaning lawyers not admitted to the BVI bar, um, not being able to recoup their costs. And these costs run into the sometimes the hundreds of thousands of, of US dollars. So it's very important that whatever BVI advice you take, mm -hmm. that the person who ultimately gives you that advice mm -hmm. and ultimately signs off on that is BVI qualified. Mm -hmm. Okay, wonderful. So I yeah. think that's it as we're coming to right. the close of one hour we appreciate your time you know you're very very busy right now with uh, other commitments and other matters uh so yeah thanks again and for those who are still online please uh know that you can access a uh, copies or recordings uh, of what we discussed here today on our website hj.tax as well as on youtube soundcloud spotify itunes uh, Amazon, basically where we can get your podcast, this will be available for you. And we do this every week on HEJ.tax. So please feel free to RSVP to any topic that is of interest to you. Mikhail, thank you for your time. And we'll My see pleasure. you soon. Okay. All right. See you soon. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye. Here are four ways we can help you. Number one, sign up for free webinars on U.S. Expat Texas and International Entrepreneur Texas at www.htj.tex. Number two, stream premium educational videos at www.htj.tex. Number three, contact us for tax optimization consult offer Zoom. Number four, high net worth. We can quote for doing your U.S. International Texas Returns. Our books and upcoming events are available at htj.tax. Please subscribe, like, share, and comment below. Email us at help at htj.tax to engage us to advise on international tax or business matters.